Welcome to the Zenoff Podcast, Fuel Your Innovation Series, where we bring you conversations with leading innovation practitioners from across the global technology ecosystem. Catch insights from some of the best thinkers and experts in the space on how to identify innovation white spaces, maximize innovation outcomes, manage innovation risks, and collaborate for results. Corporates and startups both have benefits to offer to each other, which would be all lost out without the right partnerships. Innovation is one of the most important outcomes of this arrangement. Hello, I'm Adit Danak, partner at Zeno, and I'll be your host for today. Having worked with multiple startup programs, facilitating the innovation journeys of companies, my team and I have watched partnerships succeed while some fail. And who better to talk to us about this than Professor Shamin, the author of Gorillas Can Dance, a book that dwells into startup partnerships. Welcome, Professor Shamin. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you, Atit. It's great to be on the show. Dr. Shamin is a professor of international business and strategy and associate dean at SEEPS Shanghai. Prior to joining SEEPS, he taught at Nottingham University Business School, China and the University of Glasgow. His latest book, Gorillas Can Dance, Lessons from Microsoft and Other Corporations on Partnering with Startups, offers managers in large corporations a proven guide to partnering and collaborating with startups to improve the odds of success in their innovation journeys. The book dwells into the where, why and how of corporate startup partnerships. His academic research has also been published in journals such as Entrepreneurship Theory and Practice, Journal of Business Venturing, Journal of International Business Studies, Journal of Management Studies, and Organization Studies. Um, Professor Shamin will jump right into the questions to make the most of the time that we have right now. Uh, Once again, thank you so much for joining us. When we talk about the role of corporate and startup alliances in innovation, uh, these instances are increasing day by day. But the key question, you know, or, or the first one I would maybe pose for you is how do these mandates form on the corporate side? Are these top-down, very specific teams which are given charter to work with startups? Or is it more often than not a bottom-up approach where somebody in the organization uh, is, is looking to sort of kick out these partnerships and build the capability for the organization? Uh, Atith, I think the answer is both. And... A lot depends on where the activity is taking place relative to where headquarters is. So in fact, at the start of my research, and you pointed out that I've been at this for about 15 years, I was studying um, companies in Scotland, which were subsidiaries of uh, US companies like IBM and Sun Microsystems. And a lot of their startup partnering activity was bottom up. In fact, it was because these subsidiaries were trying to show headquarters back in the US that they could do more, that they were capable of getting a bigger mandate to do more innovation activity, but they were facing this chicken and egg problem, which was they could not do more without a mandate from headquarters, but headquarters would not give them the mandate unless they could show that they were capable of more. And so one way to deal with this was to do a little bit of under the radar partnering with local Scottish startups in a way that was mutually beneficial, but they could do some pilot projects you know, without incurring huge expenses. Uh, and then that was a way to showcase to uh, headquarters what they were capable of. Uh, but Bangalore was the other place that I was uh, doing research from the early days. And I know Zinov has been very actively involved in the ecosystem. Uh, and again, some of the initial partnerships, for example, there was a startup back in 2006 called Skelta, that was working with uh, Microsoft in India. And back then, in fact, they just had the template of the independent software vendor ISV programs. 
but rather entrepreneurially, you know, uh, a young manager called Rajiv Sodhi sort of reached out to them and uh, helped them to gain access to resources that they needed. And Skelta went on to have a very uh, productive partnership with Microsoft. Uh, Rajiv till recently was um, COO of Microsoft India, incidentally. And uh, so, you know, you saw examples of this bottom-up approach. But of course, uh, since then, the uh, phenomenon has matured. And so now there are a lot of headquarters-driven organizations. But at this early stage in our conversation, I do want to emphasize that entrepreneurial managers and subsidiary organizations have shown that it's possible to get startup partnering going from the bottom up. Got it. And, and, you know, like always, I'm really curious in terms of, you know, how your early experience in, in Scotland while you were studying is still so much relevant. I think it's only becoming more and more relevant as we look at globalization, as we look at decent rights structures, you know, um, across the world and more and more so in terms of organizations, right? Uh, both on the hardware and the software side. You touched upon a very important aspect, right? You use the word uh, entrepreneurial manager. Um, and this is where my next question is, right? Um, I'm sure, and, and we have seen this, you know, as you know, in terms of the success rate uh, of innovation programs, how it depends a lot in terms of the people driving it. And from a corporate startup perspective, there's a fair bit of, what do you say, effort involved, uh, right? Uh, and in terms of making them successful. If we talk about the, you know, the, the leaders of this program or the teams which are running this program, how would you, how would you describe them in terms of success scenarios? What do they look like? What kind of experience level do they have? You know, you touch upon mindset, but if one had to, you know, say go out and look for these managers of this team to run a successful corporate startup program, what would you look for? You know, I think you're absolutely spot on about the importance of people. So from the corporate side, I've often seen that the people who are able to build bridges with the startups are very entrepreneurial themselves. And this sort of takes two forms broadly. One is they have been entrepreneurs in a previous life, and now they're working for the corporation. So somebody like Zach Weisfeld comes to mind. Zach was with Microsoft in Israel when they set up their first uh, corporate accelerator in Tel Aviv in 2012. And on the heels of that, accelerators were set up in Beijing and Bangalore. And uh, I know that Zinov was working closely with Microsoft at the, uh, in Bangalore. Now, Zach has been an entrepreneur in the past and then found ways in which to add value within a big corporation. Someone else that comes to mind is called Gregor Gimme. He's a, a former IDO a manager and an entrepreneur who spent time in Silicon Valley before returning to his native Germany and was part of the BMW startup garage co-founding team. And, you know, these guys very easily built empathy with the entrepreneurs on the outside. But not everybody in this position is a former entrepreneur. So I'm thinking of someone like Jeremy Bassett at uh, Unilever, who helped set up Unilever Foundry. I mean, his background was in finance. Uh, and then he moved into the marketing function in Unilever and eventually got interested in first an intrapreneurship program, which didn't take off, and then helped to create Unilever Foundry. Shilpa Patel at uh, Nissan's luxury car brand, Infinity. Again, she was a brand manager by training. But I think what's common to Jeremy and Shilpa was sort of this orientation towards, 
hey, let's challenge the status quo. Let's try and do something that may not work out. So that willingness to go outside of your comfort zone and be willing to operate with a bit of ambiguity, I think is important. But let me just say a couple of other things. One, these managers and the corporates who are engaging with startups must realize that that's only one half of their challenge. The other half and maybe the bigger challenge is actually engaging with people within the company. So they have to actually be very good at spanning boundaries, not only externally into the startup ecosystem, but also internally into the corporate because they have to talk to business unit managers, get buy-in from other people who will eventually do the actual collaboration with a startup on, say, a pilot project. The other thing to say is that it takes two to tango. So the people side of the equation from the startup is also important. And what I have seen is that some entrepreneurs are better than others in terms of getting it, in terms of engaging with corporates. And again, when there is some experience in the top management team in the startup where they have seen what corporates look like on the inside, I find that that also helps in making the communication go more smoothly. For example, then the emphasis is much more on solutions rather than here's my cool technology you know, and, and they are much better able to press the right buttons when interacting with the, with the large corporates uh, managers. Absolutely. A lot of, lot of critical points there. And uh, I love Zach's work. Uh, I, I think uh, his team at his current program at Intel, Intel Ignite, uh, was just recently recognized by the CEO as one of the best initiators in the company. And a lot of strong names that you gave reference to. The, the point I would maybe really, really strongly anchor on is, is the word buy-in. Whether you're an entrepreneur or you are, you know, in innovation consultant or you're an innovation manager in a in organization if you're trying to strike partnerships there are a lot of variables and to your point a lot of ambiguous situations they're dealing with and you're trying to constantly sort of remind people in terms of the upside and and to keep an eye on that to solve problems and that requires a fair bit of selling and convincing because you want to transact value in terms of not necessarily money but also time and and that's one thing which i think is only becoming more and more difficult to get from people and getting that kind of buy-in requires to be able to convince or showcase value of of that time being delivered by people i, I wanted to touch on one more thing uh, professor shamin uh, and and you give a good example in the conversation of how um, you know, some of the teams that you have seen, for example, in Scotland, where uh, or otherwise also they work under the radar in terms of getting some evidence built in to, to before they go in for a larger buy-in from the corporate in terms of running an innovation program or a corporate startup collaboration program. I've also seen this to be a big dichotomy within the corporates, right? Uh, the whole show and tell versus tell and show. One common mistake which we have seen with, with corporates is, or, or professionals in corporates is that there's a lot of emphasis on show and tell in terms of building the evidence. But many a times, um, you know, there are these trade-offs that you have to make. Uh, and, you know, there are definite scenarios where they sort of shortchange themselves in terms of not getting the right backing or not investing the right resources in that initial experiment to build evidence and sort of, you know, just not really set up themselves for success. So if, if somebody is the first time, is, is doing this for the first time in terms of collaborating with startups, has this, you know, vision to sort of make this a, a capability within the organization, they understand the importance of starting small, but how do you execute it, right? How do you decide what is the minimum or what is, you know, must have versus good to have when you're starting small anything that you have seen in terms of between the successful managers and not so successful scenarios right uh and you know i think you're saying uh it's important to think small particularly early on 
right? Because eventually, then it's uh, important if you want to make this, if, if startup partnering is seen as being strategically important, then eventually it has to be scaled up. And in some cases, managers are just lucky. The, you know, there's somebody at the very top who thinks, it's a good idea to do this and there is a, a mandate to go forward. So, you know, there's an interesting contrast between Zach's experience when he was with Microsoft 10 years ago, where it was much more bottom up and he was doing this very entrepreneurially as a sort of middle manager. That was the Microsoft accelerator that he got going in Tel Aviv. But then later, he left Microsoft in 2018, became a consultant for some time, and then a year or two later ended up joining uh, Intel, in fact, I think the, in the, the following year, and ran this Ignite startup program that you referred to with uh, support right from the top. You know, I think, uh, and in fact, it was the CEO previously, and now the CTO is the main sponsor. And in such a case, it's quite a different story. But if it's more like Zach 10 years ago, you're operating a subsidiary unit, you want to do something relatively, I mean, uh, you know, um, you are the one trying to do something as a bottom-up initiative, then yeah, I think starting small, the, the idea is really you've got to pilot it uh, itself. You know, usually these startup programs as an output have pilots that uh, these startups do, but the startup pro pottery program itself often needs to be piloted. And here I would say a few things. The people who have done this well, first of all, I think recognize that there's a risk. It may not work out. People may not get it. And I think they recognize the importance of uh, speaking in two directions. One is externally to the startups and internally within the company, as we've talked about. And here, interestingly, you know, and sometimes it's taken me a while to pick this up. It's not actually a one-person show, but but a two-people two show. So I mentioned Gregor Gimme at BMW Startup Garage. He is German, but he worked in Silicon Valley and came back and was sort of an atypical kind of BMW employee. And he sort of played to, to his strengths as that and uh, tried to create some very out-of-the-box thinking. And his mantra was, seek forgiveness, not permission. So he was telling me, uh, when I met him in Munich, he said, can you see the decor of this room? It's nothing like the BMW corporate identity. I just went ahead and did this because I wanted startups to feel comfortable. Uh, and then the next day, I got a phone call from corporate and identity, and I thought I was in trouble. But they said, well done. Your room looks great. Can we use this occasionally for some corporate events? So he said, well, you'd be surprised. Sometimes we get away with not asking for forgiveness. That's what we always say in Silicon Valley. But then as I kept digging a bit further, I realized Gregor wasn't operating alone. There was another guy, Matthias, who was his co-founder. And Matthias was a BMW lifer, a much more buttoned-down, you know, traditional BMW guy who knew the intricacies of how to handle the inside. So I think that's very important, even when you're starting small, to have a good perception of what's needed from the startup's point of view, but also how to manage the idiosyncratic realities of your organization, and each organization is different. The other thing I would say, people who have done a good job starting small and getting started is to go with a problem-led approach rather than finding solutions from startups and then match it, trying to match it to a problem within the company. And often people go to 
to individuals who, within the company, say a brand manager or a business unit leader, who is A, very clear about problems they're trying to solve and B, willing to take a chance with a startup. And this may not be the norm, but you just need one or two like that. And I think being savvy uh, in that way is key. And, and the final piece is, I think what these people are good at is driving towards success in the sense that, you know, you engage with, say, half a dozen startups on a small scale initially, or like Walmart in China, they did something with three startups and said, work with us on pilot projects, and they should not take more than 60 days which in fact was very reassuring to the startup because they were very scared the big company would be very slow. And just having that kind of an approach was useful to get started, but also the, the managers involved from the Walmart China side were very savvy to, the, to try and increase the odds as much as possible to have some success among these three, both in terms of addressing problems within the company, as we've said, but also identifying startups that were likely to deliver. And they even when, uh, you know, their global CEO visited China, they were able to put forward these three startups and have a demo. Now, you don't always have that level of spectacular success, but even having the subsidiary leader take a look and pay attention, uh, I think is important. Very fair points, uh, Professor Shamin. And, and, you know, I want to sort of touch on one more thing, you know, where you ended in terms of global leaders coming in and showcases, right? Um, this example that you gave uh, was a very interesting example where a subsidiary or a team has put in the effort to identify companies. Uh, they have also put in the effort to orchestrate these proof of concepts. And essentially what they're showcasing is uh, le the learnings or, or the success from these POCs versus what we have commonly seen with uh, a lot of corporate teams is to you know, talk about a global leader coming in and insisting on having a startup showcase and having these showcases in kind of an open search. The idea is that we will show what, you know, a particular location, country or ecosystem can do and leverage that to get a buy-in to then actually, you know, figuring out whom to work with and how to do, you know, from what to do with them from a POC perspective, something you and I would call as innovation theater. Uh, my question there would be is, you know, if, if what are these common traps that teams fall into when they're trying to start small? Is there anything from your research which you would want to vociferously put out there that corporate should not do when they're starting out this journey uh, in terms of getting the buy-ins or working with the startups? You've already touched on a few points, but I'm more than happy for you to reiterate some of those. No, it's a very, very good point about uh, the danger of innovation theater, meaning that people do things with startups because it somehow appears to be glamorous. And then, you know, there are maybe one or two high profile events, but then nothing comes of it. Uh, there's no sustained focus and so on. And, and that's really problematic because then there's a massive loss of credibility on both sides, both with internal audiences and with the startup community. And it's really quite a waste. So, you know, I think if you just take a step back, when you're thinking about engaging with startups, I think it's useful to think about the why, the how, and the where. Uh, and in fact, that's how I've uh, organized the book. And so I think that first piece around the why is extremely important to recognize that there are some strategic imperatives that 
have to be addressed and startups engaging with startups is but one way in which to uh, address this so having that north star very clear you know for many companies it's been digital transformation uh, i think that's why bmw began talking to startups growing forward i think sustainability concerns are going to also mean that you know budweiser for example in china is talking to a local startup that can help transform their beer waste into recyclable plastic Uh, but then there's the how and i think with the how i think it's important to realize that there's this tricky situation and this is where companies get into trouble with innovation theater you know on the one hand big companies and startups have very complementary capabilities one has scale the other has agility so bring them together boom you should have magic but in fact very often then both parties realize that the very differences that make it attractive to work together also makes it challenging i call this the paradox of asymmetry so you have to think about this and address it thoughtfully i can personally relate to a lot of those pieces people do see uh, the launchpad demo days uh, at cisco you know once in a year or twice in a year uh, but then we have seen that program evolve over the last five year period um and what has mattered a lot is is the aspect of resilience the persistence uh the creativity in terms of getting in the resources getting in the binds um and most critically uh recognizing that even building these partnerships uh, or these capabilities is a evolutionary process uh, nobody's going to get it right the first time uh, but it's important to go in with a certain perspective so that if something doesn't work out you know the reason why it didn't work out you're able to iterate from that and that continuous evolution uh, sort of you know happens with the program it's able to deliver a lot more results and possibly different scale of results uh, you know as time goes by thank you so much professor shami you know for answering these questions and thank you so much for helping us with these these answers and giving a perspective on the corporate startup partnership thank you atit thoroughly enjoyed the conversation as always thank you for tuning into this episode of the fuel your innovation series brought to you by zenov Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the important conversations on all things innovation. You can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love to connect with you to help improve your odds of success with your innovation program. Just drop us a note at info@zinov.com at or visit our website www.zinov.com.